0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Frok, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And I recognize this episode may be out of bounds, but I'm afraid to mention that this may in fact be the third episode with Charles Mulbauer, the head of sales enablement from CB Insights. Nick, why should people listen?
1: Charles is so good at formulating questions. My biggest takeaway from this one is if you have tough questions to ask your prospect, maybe your boss says, hey, you need to go go to your prospect and ask them this. And you're like, I can't just say that to them. Charles has some really powerful stuff around softening statements, neutral dispositions at the end of your questions, turning open-ended or rather turning closed-ended into open-ended questions. So if you want to get better answers, ask better questions and listen to this better episode.
0: Three, two, one. I feel a little bit awkward playing this episode, but please enjoy this episode.
1: All right, Charles, welcome to the show. You know that we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three.
2: Thank you for having me again. Actionable takeaway number one, if you sense it or if you feel it, say it. If you sense something, call it out. If you feel that something is wrong in the conversation, there's tension, maybe the prospect is not really picking up what you're putting down, believing the value in the conversation, you call it out and say, Hey, Nick, I... I could be way off here, but I'm getting the sense that you're not really seeing enough value in our conversation or, or in what we do. Am I – is that wrong? Right? And the tone matters there. You can laugh because it's funny. Call it out and the prospect will respond appropriately. So that's actual number one. Uh, number two, have a softening statement prior to any tough question. So for example, if a prospect is saying, hey, listen, Charles, this is this is really interesting. I just want to kind of bring it back to my team and, you know, talk about it internally and and maybe have a conversation. Why don't you reach out to me next, next Thursday and we can see where we want to go from there? Before I ask a tough question like what hesitations do you expect to hear from your team, I will give a softening statement and say, yeah, absolutely, Nick. I, I can appreciate that. I've been in this company for a couple years now, and it's totally uh, normal for someone like yourself to want to speak to the team internally. I understand that there might be some healthy level of skepticism, given that you haven't really seen the product. I totally get it. You know, thinking out loud here, what pushback would you expect your team to have when you bring this to them internally? So that is a very conversational way. Make any softening statement that you'd like, as long as it's it's not informal, But it's we're going for the blend of casual and formal together.
1: Beautiful. Route us out, Charles. What's number three?
2: Ask about hesitations. That could really run the gamut in a number of different areas. Let's say you ran a demo. So, Armand, based on on everything you've seen today, was there anything you were hoping to see that you didn't see? Or based on everything we've seen today, I guess, who on your team do you expect the most pushback from? When you bring this back internally, what would you say would be the number one reason why you think we wouldn't be moving forward? Or even when we're close to the end, just asking a close the question, Nick, is, it sounds like you, you, you guys see enough value. I guess is there any reason you can think of as to why we wouldn't be working together? Because when you think about you and the prospect, they're in a healthy way skeptical about working with you just as much as we are, in a healthy way, skeptical about working with them. Because if it's a SaaS business, we are it's based on recurring revenue. So if I feel that they're not going to be here for a while, I have a healthy level of skepticism around that. And so I'm going to want to look for trouble just the same.
0: So Charles, one of the most common places that I see prospects looking for trouble is actually in that first demo where you're going deep into the product. It's not a harbor tour anymore. You're demoing for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. And they start to poke and pick at all of the little things, even though on the big picture, you might be solving most of the big problems that they mentioned. So I'm curious, what do I do to reverse in that moment? Or what do I do to call out the fact that it seems like they might be looking for trouble in a demo?
2: So when I'm getting the sense the prospect is getting very nitpicky, I like to always go back to home plate. And say something along the lines of. Yeah, Arman, I, I appreciate these questions. Just out of curiosity, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the call that the the really number one area that is most important to you based on your decision criteria is X. Based on the questions that you're asking me right now, I'm getting the sense that there are other priorities. Am I off there? Right? So I want to go back home. Now they will tell me. No, it's not really a priority. They could tell me a number of different things, obviously, but I can't control what what they're going to say. But they could say, I've seen account executives in that situation where the prospect said, no, these aren't aren't real priorities for us. We're just kind of getting a a lay of the land. I just want to make sure, Nick, that this is not really like, are these make or breaks for you guys? Or to what extent are these make or breaks in terms of your decision criteria? Because last we spoke, I didn't get the sense that these were going to be big deals. So if I'm thrown off, I will call it out with a blend of blaming myself and also asking if it's a make or break, I'll throw in a a quick sales nugget. If anybody here is struggling with turning a closed-ended question into an open-ended question, just use three words. To what extent? To what extent changes the game turning a closed-ended question into an open-ended question?
0: So this is one thing that I I see happen a lot to first-time sellers is they do this great discovery call. And then they get all of these priorities, and then they go into the demo, and then a prospect gets stuck back in the technical weeds. And one thing that's super important to notice around what Charles is doing is you're bringing them back to the priorities. And one thing that I love to do is once we do that, we say, hey, these things you're asking about, the integrations, the permissions, the security, all of that stuff, these are super, super important things. Usually, though, we find that these things don't even actually, I mean, they matter, but... It doesn't even make sense to talk about them until we're certain that we can solve X, Y, and Z for you. So do you mind if we cover these ones on our technical call with your IT team in two or three calls down the road? Because I would hate to talk about all this stuff and have you leave and not even be sure if we can solve your problems or not. The mindset that you want
2: to have ideally as a sales professional is, wait a second, I'm I'm kind of confused as to what's happening, Armand. You mentioned this, but now we're talking about these things. Where did I go wrong? And they're going to help you. It's similar to the humbling disclaimer, which we talked about in other episodes. I'm very into the philosophy of empowering the prospect to do the work for me, to do the selling for me. So I'm okay with being wrong as long as they're correcting me. And if they're correcting me, that's great. And if I'm right, that's great. So it's it's a win-win for me. And it takes the pressure, it takes the onus off of me completely. So that's the mindset uh, as to how I personally come up with these questions or executing these questions in the right tone with softening statements so that it's direct, but it's also landing well.
1: I have a question actually for both of you, and it's based off of something that Armand said earlier about the, hey, these were the big problems that you told me. Let's make sure we solve those first before we talk about the permissions and integrations and the nitpicky stuff. And I'm actually going to use the to what extent piece. I'm curious, like, to what extent are you guys and how frequently are you reorienting the prospect around the home plate things? I'm thinking about this from the context of like, I have sales cycles that will take me seven, eight, nine months, do I need to be reorienting them around those priorities on every single call?
2: Yeah, sure. My short answer is absolutely. My long answer is if we have agreed for certain that their top priority is A, B, or C, I'm bringing that, I'm always reminding them of that for two reasons. One, I have a terrible memory And if I have a terrible memory, chances of them remembering every single detail from our last call is low. So I'm going to do that. And I'll harp on that, number one. Number two, you know, it's funny. In life, even though we know to do certain things, you know, have time management, be better people, improve our skills, invest in ourselves, it's one thing to know about it. But even though we know a lot of these a lot of these things when we reread them it brings us back it grounds us and brings us back oh i forgot how important this is so that's another reason why I would bring it back the third reason is i never know if something has changed especially nick if you mentioned it's 9 months long so That if we're having a conversation, I would say something like, Nick, so, you know, we've, it seems, looks like we've been in in really great, having really productive conversations for around uh, since uh, November. From what I understand, these main priorities are still your priorities. To what extent have your priorities changed since we last spoke? Of course, I'm asking that just to make sure that we're on the same page and that we can actually help you. So those are the three reasons why I would go back home all the time.
0: Charles, you actually made a post the other day that I'll quote right now, and it's demo is really just uh, an excuse to do more discovery. And I'll, I'll take it one step further in that, demo is oftentimes your ability to just say that, hey, what I told you I could do in discovery, I wasn't lying. And so along the way, a lot of reps, they get these amazing nuggets that they find in discovery. They're losing people, they're missing revenue targets, what have you. But then they go into the same generic feature demo of, you can save X amount of time by doing ABC, one, two, three, what have you, right? But I find what the best reps are able to do is they're able to say, "Hey, um, last time you said priorities were x, y, and Z. Let's actually zoom in on what this would look like in your day of the life. So as a podcast host, one of the things that you mentioned, Nick, is really, really important is when you're editing your podcast, every time your host sneezes, you can see asterisk sneeze here. And so what I'm showing you right now is Armand sneezing live in your podcast. And that's the concept of demoing in stories and demoing against the priorities that you shared with me earlier in discovery versus doing a generic feature for feature demo.
2: A hundred percent, especially in a first call, I actually try to coach people and teach people not to name any features if they haven't, especially most importantly, if they, if they haven't seen the platform. So a lot of people might say in a discovery conversation, oh, we have something called mosaic or we have something called, they don't, first of all, they don't care what it's called. And second of all, as I mentioned earlier, they're not going to remember what it's called because it's totally irrelevant. What I do teach is, listen, what we're going to help you with is this. And if the prospect asks, how do you do that? I'll explain. Oh, we do it this way and that way. But I'm not mentioning any features or tools. I'm kind of like talking about my offering as if we are a firm that provides a service without a product. The product is just a means to an end. I'll show you how we do it, but it's just a means to an end. I'm going to talk about the end the entire time. So That's one thing I want to say. And the other thing i like to say is in addition, Armand, to what you said, I also teach my reps to run the demo through the eyes of a customer that is in the same space as the prospective client. So I might say, would it be okay, Armand, if maybe we run through this walkthrough through the eyes of ABC competitor, which you mentioned? Yeah, sure. And I can give you a sense of how they think about things. Absolutely. Great. So when they hop onto the platform, when they hop on here, the way they're thinking about this is this way, because the problems that they told us they want to solve is this. So when they come on here, look, they're looking at this, looking at that. And as you can see, they're getting a sense of the landscape. They're getting a sense of this, of that. And that's how they're thinking about this part of the platform. I'll pause there. I'm curious to what extent you can relate to that. I want to take as much pressure as I possibly can off of the account executive. So there's by nature more pressure on the account executive to quote unquote sell or show value when it's just me saying, hey, Armand, so what you can do here is this. What you can do here is that the way it would benefit you is this. Okay, that's slightly more pressure on me to show you the value than it would be to show you how somebody else sees the value. That's less pressure on me. So I try to reduce as reduce as much pressure as possible on the account executives. And of course, from the prospects perspective, you know, based on the herd theory, the more they can see other companies, especially in their space, especially a competitor, the way they're thinking about things, the more they're gonna have FOMO and uh, some sort of healthy jealousy that they might be missing out.
1: Can you tell me more about this? The demo is just an excuse to do more discovery thing because I'm advanced enough as a seller to know I shouldn't just be stopping every six minutes and saying, any questions? Nope. Okay. Any questions? What sort of questions are you asking in your demo so that you get world-class discovery through the lens of a demo?
2: So I'll give an obvious question, which is based on what we're looking at. How does this compare to what you're doing right now? Fine. You know, a lot of people know that question. Uh, Another question is, you know, I'll pause here. I'm curious, Armand, where might you see this fitting in your current workflow, right? So there's the how, there's the where, there's the who. Nick, who on your team would you say would be using this part of the platform the most? Oh, Bobby. Bobby would definitely use this the most because of this. And who knows what they're going to say. They might say, oh, by the way, and Sarah could also benefit from it. And when the, of course, when the prospects are talking to each other, oh, yeah, Bobby. Oh, yeah, Sarah. Oh, yeah, Tony. That's like, that's magic. That's Disney World. You know, that's that's the best. That's, That's what I'm ultimately going for. Of course, some of the questions that I mentioned earlier, at the beginning of a demo, right, at the beginning of the demo, I'm always going to go over what we spoke about last, right? I'm always going home. Arman, so is it right if we just go over a, a bit of our conversation left from last week just to make sure we're on the same page here? Sure. So you mentioned that these are your top priorities. These are these are some things that you're struggling with. Did I get anything wrong? Right. I'm focusing on the negative. I like to focus on the negative. Did I get anything wrong here? Am I missing anything? Right. As opposed to did I get everything right? I like saying was there, was there anything I got wrong? And then they'll they'll search for something that I got wrong because I brought it up. They say, no, no, great. Then I might do some permission-based asking. Is there a, Maybe I ask two or three questions about some of the things because I was thinking a lot about this over the past week, and I wrote them down. Would it be okay if I asked maybe two or three questions about it? Sure. And now I'm, now I'm running more discovery, even before I start the demo, with really curious questions. For example... Arman, I, I couldn't help but, but wonder, you mentioned all, all of these issues. I totally forgot to ask, how did you realize these were actually issues in the first place? I'm going home. I mentioned this on, I think, a different episode. I'm bringing the past to the present. Or I might add, oh, that's interesting. And I use a humbling disclaimer and say, Arman, I, I know this might sound like a weird question, but to what extent would you say the team has actually given up on trying to solve this on their own as opposed to hiring someone like us for
0: help. And what's the answer that you're looking for there when you're saying, are you do you want them to have given up? Do you not want them to have given up? And, and where do you take it from there? I want a big sigh. If I'm asking a really good question and I hear,
2: <laughs> you know, I am in. I want to get as close as I can to some sort of emotional response you know we're taught as sales professionals oh buying is based on emotion okay that's true but in my opinion it's not a hundred percent based on emotion okay yeah we make decisions based on emotion and we reason it with logic okay that's great but at the end of the day when it comes to closing the deal we're using logic would it make sense would it make based on everything we discussed would it make sense to move forward or are there some things that you're not sure about still That's the neutral disposition, which I talked about earlier. A neutral disposition is always bringing the negative at the end of a question. It's kind of like, hey, Armand, do you want to go see a Coldplay next week or or not really? I'm doing the or not really because I don't know where your answer is going to be, but I want to give you the opportunity to just tell me the truth. Nah, I don't really want to go. I'm not into Coldplay. That's cool. So I'm always doing that. One question I also really, really love to ask is – Even after the demo, two really good questions that I love asking. I'll say, hey, Nick, you know, based on everything we looked at, I'm not sure how many people ask you this question, but do, do you feel that I have a very good understanding as to what you're looking to accomplish? Or do you feel I maybe don't understand you that well? Why do I like asking that? First of all, I want to know. Second of all, they're going to really appreciate that question. And if you've developed a really solid, effective conversation, they will tell you what you missed, which is great. And the other thing I like to ask is, Armand, based on everything we looked at, I guess before we look at pricing, to what extent do you believe we have the capability to actually significantly help you? Because, of course, if you don't, we certainly don't have to go over pricing.
1: I'm hearing some phrases that you've said a couple times here. Thinking out loud here, this might sound like a weird question. I'm not sure – how many people have asked you this question before? You're almost like qualifying what you're saying. I'm curious, like, what technique is that? And what's the intent behind those phrases you're using?
2: It's called the humbling disclaimer. The humbling disclaimer is sharing an insecurity about me to the prospect, basically saying in a, in a nice way or in a polished way, the raw form is, I'm scared to ask this, but this is what I want to ask. Is that cool? And they're going to save you. Don't worry about it. I want to help you. It makes them work more. Makes me work less. Takes the pressure completely off of me. If I want to ask an impact question, I can literally say, Armand, (laughs) I'm actually scared to ask you this question because maybe the answer is obvious. And maybe I should know the answer. But can you help me understand what the impact is to the organization if you don't get this solved for? And it lands super, super well, and no one's going to hate me for asking a question that I really want to know the answer to. That because I'm curious. As we're speaking about it, part of that is also giving yourself the opportunity to slightly push the prospect away. Where going back to that example earlier, where they're maybe kind of you, maybe you get the sense they're purposely on the phone poking holes or their intentions are not right. You might say, hey, Nick, uh, I'm I'm getting the sense that maybe there are too many holes in our product for us to work together based on the questions that you're asking. I'm guessing maybe this is not for you guys, or am I off there? How are you guys thinking about it? Right. So there are a lot of ways to use these humbling disclaimers, softening statements, and so on and so forth. And I mentioned this in some other conversations, part of the neutral disposition where we're always... Adding the negative is, hey, Nick, I know you mentioned that you'd be able to send the agreement by the end of day yesterday. If you were me, should I tell my CFO to expect the agreement by today? Or is there something else that might prevent us from signing it by today? I'm pointing out the negative because I want to bring them to tell me the truth. So they're all interrelated. They apply all over the place. And when it comes to looking for trouble, looking for trouble is a mindset that salespeople should have to always search for what might be wrong. What could they be worried about that they're not saying? I'm going to either beat them to it and bring up the objection or I'm going to ask them in a negative way, is there anything here that you might be concerned about? Uh, It sounds like there's a fit, but I was just curious what else you might be thinking that we haven't really talked about. And I'm just going to go there. The looking for trouble Line kind of moves up as the conversations progress. So in the beginning, you're getting to know each other. What do you do? What do we do? This is how we might be able to help. Okay, maybe they're a little skeptical. You're a little skeptical. Now they're doing the demo. You're there asking questions. You're they're more skeptical of you. You're more skeptical of them based on the conversation. And then it comes to the to the deal. Now there's negotiating. Now the they're really skeptical. Well, we want this. Well, I don't want that. Oh, I want this. I want this number. Who's going to be part of it? When are we going to get the deal back? And so on and so forth. So I'm all the looking for trouble line is always increasing, but I'm always staying there, always understanding what could be the impediments that in this deal that would prevent us from moving forward, because that's really the most important thing. And I'm not afraid. Accounting executive should not, any accounting executive should not be afraid to know where they stand at any time.
1: Charles, what a wonderful episode. We're running out of time and we got to move to the final question. Final question is this. We've talked about a lot of things salespeople should be doing. Let's talk about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps?
2: There is a fine line between asking a direct question and coming across as aggressive. A very simple fix. Some AEs might say, when you say X, Y, Z, what do you mean? Okay. Now, obviously, it depends on the level of rapport. Okay. Versus, Nick, when you say X, Y, Z, how do you mean? How do you mean versus what do you mean? Makes a very, very big difference. You'll find that when you ask, how do you mean? It's going to feel weird because it's not like grammatically correct. But when you say, hey, Nick, when you say this, how do you mean? And it creates a very... Healthy tension in the conversation where they're going to boom, they're just going to open up the floodgates. And it's less aggressive. It's more inviting uh, than something like, what do you mean? So that's just one example of we want to be direct, but also inviting at the same time. It's kind of like a, a magical push-pull balance, if you will. So that's what I would say.
1: Beautiful. Charles, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon.
0: Rocket reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with PipeDrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Charles Mulbauer include, number one, if you're getting picked apart on the technical details, try going back to home plate. Go back to the original priorities that you found in Discovery and re-anchor the demo on those first. Number two, having trouble turning a closed-ended question into an open-ended question? you can use a simple phrase like, to what extent? Add that to the beginning of any closed-ended question and it will probably become an open-ended question. Number three, here are three types of questions you can ask during a demo to do more demo discovery. Number one, how? How does this compare to what you're doing today? Number two, where? Where does this fit in your workflow today? And then number three, who? Who on your team would possibly be using this? And then lastly, number four, based on everything you've seen what would prevent us from moving forward? Always be looking for trouble in your deal cycles and don't just continue to set next steps without making sure that you've unblocked the major deal blockers. All right, Nick, how can people help us out?
1: Well, let's go back to home base here. Every single month, my good friend, my great friend, Armand here, writes up a summary of all of the stuff that he has learned from 30 Minutes to President's Club in a nice crispy format. And he, send that, he sends that email, he's kind enough to send that email to a couple listeners. Now, if you'd like to be added to that list of the couple listeners who gets a super secret special email from Armand, you might want to check out the show notes and go subscribe to the 30 Minutes to President's Club newsletter. Armand likes to call it a newsie when he's in a particularly playful mood. But please go subscribe. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club.